stand out of respect for the Word of God, turn with me to Luke chapter number 23 this morning, and uh, a lot of times I'll put the verses in your outline, but uh, we had a lot of scripture to cover this morning. Luke chapter 23, we'll begin reading in verse 33 to verse 43 this morning, and if uh, there's someone by you that doesn't have a copy of the Word of God, maybe you can uh, share with them or let them look on with you, but I want to make sure that everybody is able to see this uh, this morning. And so in Luke chapter 23, we're going to begin reading this morning in verse number 33. And I will let you know that a lot of times uh, when it comes to certain messages, because of where we are in the scriptures this morning, that uh, there is a, uh, a time in the message as we begin that s- sets the stage for where we're at in our message this morning. So there is a little bit of a lengthier introduction, but it brings us right into the passage that we're about to read. So I wanted to let you know of that so that you can follow along with us. Beginning at verse 33 of Luke 23, the Bible says, And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the male factors, one on the right hand and the other on the left, then said, Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself if he be the Christ, or if he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If if thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the male factors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, For we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise today. Thou shalt be with me in paradise. This morning the message and the title of the message is Calvary covers it all. I hope you're glad for Calvary this morning. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this privilege that's ours to be here and to hold a copy of the Word of God in our hands. Lord, we know that The Word of God is the power of God unto salvation. Lord, I pray for the listening ears, Lord, the receiving hearts today. 
God, that we would be willing to do whatever it is that you would ask of us. Lord, we're thankful for Jesus, your Son, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father. Lord, today we come with grateful and heavy and joyful hearts, mixed emotions because of what you did many years ago. And today I pray that you would help us all to see what you have done for us and the gift that you have so freely given to us. We'll thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. As we look at the passage this morning, prior to this passage, we have looked at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. And Jesus, of course, was born of a virgin. He lived on this earth. He lived a perfect, sinless life. Jesus, at about the age of 30, began his earthly ministry. For about three and a half years, Jesus did many things on this earth. As his ministry began, Jesus came to a man by the name of John. John was baptizing on the shore of the Jordan River. According to the Jewish historian Josephus, they believe that there were over 100,000 people that came to the shores of this river known as the Jordan, a muddy body of water. They came there not because that water could wash away their sins, but they came for what the Bible refers to as the baptism of repentance. They were looking forward to the day that the Messiah would come. They were awaiting the, the, the arrival of the Lamb of God. John said in John 1.29, the next day, John, talking about John the Baptist, see of Jesus coming unto him. And John said these words, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. That reference there is in reference to the sin of everyone. Because we're all born in our sin. That's your sin, that's my sin, that sin's past, present, and future. He's the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. When Jesus came to John to the Jordan and was baptized of John in the Jordan, Jesus said that he did that to fulfill all righteousness. Certainly Jesus did not need to be saved, he was sinless. Jesus wasn't baptized to identify with a body of doctrine. Jesus was the Word of God in the flesh. But he came to fulfill the righteousness of God. And when he was baptized, Matthew 3, 17, the Bible says, A low, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That was God the Father's testimony from heaven of his son who came not to live his life but who came to give his life a ransom for us 
God says, I'm pleased with my son. Can I tell you that the pleasure that God had for his son that began before this instance at the Jordan River, that that pleasure in his son never ceased the entire time Jesus was on this earth. Not in one point did Jesus disappoint his father. He pleased him in all things. All, all the way back to heaven, he pleased his father. In the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, as he left this Jordan River, you can see on the map here, and it may be hard to kind of figure it, figure it out, but notice there at the top, the little blue area there was the Sea of Galilee. And you, you can see the Jordan River flowing down, and a lot of the ministry of Jesus took place uh, in and on and around that sea, that Sea of Galilee, which is referred to as many things, the Sea of Tiberias and other things, the, the Sea of Gennesaret, uh, that is all talking about that little body of water. And if you notice just above that, it says Galilee. A lot of the ministry of Jesus took place in what is known as the Galilean region. It was there that Jesus preached the Word of God. Jesus taught the people. Jesus performed many mighty miracles. Jesus began in this area, this region, to show himself to be the very Son of God. It was an amazing ministry. As we think about his ministry this morning, we've already in the past looked at much of what Jesus did, but we come to that final week in the ministry of Jesus. That final week of his earthly existence and the miracles of Jesus that he had performed, they had all been accomplished and the preaching that Jesus had preached, they had all come to pass. This Sunday that we celebrate today, you see in the Bible there's a reference to this Sunday. This Sunday is oftentimes referred to as Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday was a Sunday where Jesus rode his uh, the animal, a donkey, the foal of an ass. Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem on this particular Sunday. And as Jesus rode into the city, there were people that had palm branches. It was kind of hard to find some of these here in South Florida. And so some trees sacrificed today so that I could hold these two palm branches in my hand. But Jesus comes into the city of Jerusalem, and you can see there a depiction of when Jesus came into the city and he makes his triumphal entrance, and Jesus was welcomed into the city, and they began to worship him. And listen, it goes back to what Zechariah wrote about in the Old Testament where the Bible says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Why palm branches? Why in the world? I mean, the Bible also talks about one of the gospel records that they, they laid their cloaks down also, that they laid their garments down, but the palm branches, they represented goodness. They thought about Jesus and they thought, finally, someone is coming to, to relieve us of the oppression. Somebody is coming to deliver us. These palm branches were palms of victory is what they were. They began to lay these branches down as Jesus rode into the city. 
because he would become their redeemer. He would be the one that would set them free. But it's amazing how quickly things changed. Talk about a 360 degree turn in the opposite direction. Those very same people that were crying out as Jesus, the Son of God, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. They were crying, Hosanna, Hosanna. The word Hosanna means save now. They were crying out to him, deliver us, save us from what we're under, the bondage. But these very same people that were crying, Hosanna, now in just a short amount of time, they were so thrilled with him, but things began to change, things began to turn. Jesus had many times in his earthly ministry tried to prepare his followers to understand that as he came in and what was going to take place, that he would die for the sins of the world. Peter writes it this way, Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Did you hear what Peter wrote? That he, Jesus, might bring us, sinners, to God. The Bible says, being put to death in the flesh, but quickeneth or quickened by the Spirit. What did Jesus do when he came? What did he do when he offered his life? He submitted his life to the will of his Father. Matthew 26, 39, look at the verse. He went a little further in the garden. He fell on his face and he prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. We studied a couple weeks ago when Jesus prayed that prayer and the great drops of blood that came down as he was praying that prayer and the battle that was going on in that garden. As Jesus prayed that prayer, shortly after that, Jesus was arrested in the garden and he was immediately taken to trial. You see one of the pictures here. Can I remind you, this was no small thing Jesus went through for us. Because as Jesus was led around midnight out of that garden, he made his way down the Mount of Olives and across the Kidron Valley. Jesus made his way over towards the Judgment Hall area, and about one o'clock in the morning, Jesus was brought before Annas. Shortly after he appeared there, he appeared before Caiaphas, the high priest. Around dawn, Jesus was brought before the Sanhedrin. And after he stood before this council of 70, and with the high priest being the 71st, then Jesus was brought before Pilate that you see here. Pilate then sent Jesus back to, actually sent him to Herod Antipas, and then Herod Antipas sent him back to Pilate. And you see that as Jesus arrives, it's about 6 a.m. in the morning now. Jesus has been up all night. Mark 15 records it this way, that Pilate says and answered, said unto the people, What will ye then that I should do unto him whom ye call the king of the Jews? And they cried out. These are the same people that were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Now they say unto him, crucify him. Then Pilate said unto them, 
Why, what evil hath he done? And they cried out the more, exceedingly crucify him. And so Pilate, willing to content, the people released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. What did Pilate do? He turned Jesus over to the hands of these angry people. Look in your notes there in John 19. When the chief priests, therefore, and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. These people, when they said, crucify him, it was the opposite of Hosanna. You remember it means save now. Crucify means put him to death. Impale him to a cross, a mode of, of suffering and shame. So now it is about 9 o'clock in the morning. Jesus has been up all night. He's gone through six trials through the evening. No sleep. He's very weary. He carries his cross most of the way. The last part of the way, Jesus fell under the load of that cross. And they compelled one Simon of Cyrene to carry his cross the last little bit. And that brings us to our passage today. It's about 9 o'clock in the morning, and I want you to see the place of Calvary. The Bible records back in our passage in verse 33, And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. Calvary would be the place that the world would see the grace of God. They would see 2,000 years ago this place that today we still are preaching about. You see, Calvary was a prepared place. Who prepared it? It wasn't the Roman government. It was prepared by God himself. You see, God knew that this day would come. The word Calvary is also found in the Bible as the word Golgotha. In the Hebrew, it means the place of the skull. I want you to think about this as you look at this picture of this skull. Can you see right there the sockets for the eyes and the nose? The next picture depicts it as a little bit closer. This is the side of the hill known as Calvary, Golgotha, the place that they took Jesus. And the Bible says as you think about it being prepared by God, Listen to what it says in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created. Well, what did God create? The heaven and the earth. This place was not created by man. It was created by God. God, the word here in Genesis 1.1, God created. The word is Elohim. It is a plural form of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Did you hear what I said this morning? Because the Bible teaches that we believe in a triune God. 
We believe in God the Father, we believe in God the Son, and we believe in God the Holy Spirit. And if that is true, and God prepared this place, that means that Jesus, who is God, he prepared not only Calvary, but he also prepared Gethsemane, the place that he prayed. See, this would be the place where Jesus, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, would die for our sins. I think about this as the songwriter wrote years ago. I like the thought. If he prepared Calvary and he prepared Gethsemane, Jesus prepared the tree. He grew the tree that became the old rugged cross. You see, it was a prepared place. But I also want you to see about Calvary that it was a painful place. The cross was a form of execution of the Roman government. Can I tell you this morning that it was a real pain that Jesus endured. Crucifixion was the most painful way to die. Deuteronomy 21, 23, he that is hanged is accursed of God. Did you hear what the Bible says? Those that hung on a cross on a tree were cursed of God. They stripped the Son of God on this hill. They stretched out His arms and they pierced the hands of a, a God that had never committed one sin. Then they took His legs and they crossed them and they took a nail and they drove it through the beautiful feet of Jesus. See, there was, as they nailed Him to that cross, there was just enough room, they claimed, that as they nail a person to the cross, that there was enough room where they could, they could push up a little bit, where they could fill their lungs with oxygen. They would inhale, and then they would let down their legs, and they could exhale. They would raise themselves to inhale, then they would lower themselves to exhale. But you see, what most people didn't realize is, is because of the form of execution and the excruciating pain that every time a person would raise themselves, the tendons in the body that the nails had been driven through were basically being torn and ripped. The pain was there. Oh yes, the oxygen was going up into the lungs, but it was creating pain running through his body, excruciating pain. It was a death designed for maximum torture. The common method of ending crucifixion was the breaking of the legs. Now this is interesting because again, you follow the plan of God as God prepared this place, this painful place, that when you think about the breaking of the legs, this could not happen to Jesus. And the reason it could not happen was because of what the Old Testament had to say back in Psalm 34, and verse 20. The Bible says, He keepeth all his bones, and none, not one of them, is broken. Over in John chapter 19, and verse 33, when they came to Jesus, and they saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled, a bone of him shall not be broken. You see, God commanded that this lamb, the Passover lamb, 
the lamb that would give his life so that all those lambs that had died would never have, there'd never have to be another Passover lamb after Jesus, that, all the, that this Passover lamb would not have to have its legs broken. Listen to what it says when Jesus established the Passover over in Exodus 12. Look at verse 46. In one house shall it be eaten. Thou shalt not carry forth aught of the flesh abroad out of the house, neither shall ye break a bone thereof. When God established the Passover in the Old Testament, and when Jesus came to die on the cross at Calvary, all the way down to the very last detail of his death, Jesus was fulfilling the fact that he was the Messiah. He verified this in his sacrifice as the Lamb of God as John had said, standing there at the Jordan River that day. Paul wrote to those in Galatia, look at what he says, Christ hath redeemed us. How? From the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. You see, the pain of this place, it was a painful place. But can I also tell you the good news for us this morning is, it was a redemptive place. See, there was a purpose for the pain. The song that the songwriter wrote years ago, redeemed how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed through His infinite mercy, His child, and forever I am. The book of Romans chapter 3, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be the propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Listen this morning, for someone to be redeemed, that means that they had to be lost. And see, that's all of us. Every last one of us are lost in our sins. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For there is none righteous, no, not one, as it is written. See, we are separated from God because of our sin. And Jesus shed his blood. Why? That we might be redeemed. He purchased a lost and a sinful world by his blood. John said it this way in 1 John 4.10, herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The word propitiation there, here's what it means, covering. Jesus became the satisfaction. He covered our sins. Like in the Old Testament, you had the mercy seat and you had the covering of that ark, the mercy seat. That's what Jesus became. He became our mercy seat. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. See, the baptistry and good works and whatever we think we can do to live our lives a certain way, nothing can wash away our sins, only the blood of Jesus. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood, loose all their guilty stains. See, Calvary was the place. It was a place that became the place where Jesus became the covering 
for our sins. Aren't you glad for Calvary this morning? You see, I see the place of Calvary, but then I secondly see the people of Calvary. Who was it that saw the grace of God that day? I mean, certainly when you study the Bible, there at the foot of the cross, you had the mother of Jesus. You had to understand how heavy her heart was. To see a mother watching her son die the way that he was dying. She stood there and observed. Notice also the Bible records that John, the beloved, Jesus looked down from that cross and he said, Behold thy mother, behold thy son. He wanted to make sure, even in his pain, he wanted to make sure his mother was taken care of. Jesus cared about everyone. That's the reason he was hanging there. They, they, they stood there, knelt there, their hearts were broken. The blood of Jesus flowing down. I mean, certainly we know of the believers. But what about others? See, there were other people there beholding what was going on. The Bible says they stood, in verse 35, beholding. The word means they were a spectator. They were watching attentively. The Romans at this time, and of course, before and even after this, they had become very desensitized. As a matter of fact, it was a very wicked time, and I mean, I know sin still abounds, but the Romans were very morbid, and they were very wicked. I mean, to them, a crucifixion was like going to some theater and watching a movie. It was a form of entertainment for them. You say, really? Have you never read about the Colosseum where they would take Christians and they would watch them being mutilated to death with lions? This was another form of entertainment for them. These people stood there and they, they saw what Jesus went through. And I, I think of our society today, the world we live in today. Hey, can I tell you, we're not too far from ancient Rome today. This world that we live in, Listen, I'm going to tell you something. So many babies are murdered every day. Abortion. I think about how, you know, so many, and the preacher at our family camp hit on this, but you think about so many bloody sports that, that happen in our world today. People just thrive on things like that. Video games. The other day we saw one, some kid was playing, and I mean, just, just the gore and the blood and it, that's just the world we live in. Not too far from what was the case in Jesus' day. Look at the Bible says in Matthew 27, verse 39, of these people of Calvary, they passed by, reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days. Save thyself if thou be the Son of God. Come down from the cross. See, what they were doing was they were mocking him. They were humiliating Jesus as he hung on this cross. See, among that crowd that day, there was the rulers. Look what the Bible says in verse 35. The people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he be Christ, the, son, the chosen of God, the word derided there. Hey, you have to understand, the rulers of the day, these were supposed to be the religious people. 
And here they are deriding Jesus. They're sneering at him. They're scoffing at him. They're turning up their nose at the Son of God. The Bible says in Matthew's account, he trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And still today, listen, there's a lot of rulers. There's a lot of politicians. There's a lot of world leaders. There's a president. Hey, there's many in power today that still deny the existence of God. Just like in the days of Jesus. Among the crowd were the rulers, but also among the crowd were the soldiers. In verse 36, the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar. You see, they mocked him, and one way they mocked him was they raised the sponge to him, and instead of it being full of water, it was vinegar. Anybody here like vinegar? Yeah, I'd rather have a glass of water any day. But they mocked him. It reminds me of what Isaiah said as I think about what Jesus went through even at the hands of the soldiers. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are what? Healed. Now that healing there that Isaiah writes about, it speaks about our sins. Look, if we weren't sinful, we would need to be healed. Physician, heal thyself. You don't go to the doctor when you're in good shape. Some of us don't go when we're in bad shape. But see, we're sinners. We need healing. The stripes that Isaiah wrote about, they refer to the wounds and the the blood of Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus, we have the cleansing for our sins. But it's interesting, these soldiers, as they mocked him, the Bible says in verse 38, look at it, and a superscription also was written over him. I want you to notice here, this is my best attempt. This is Hebrew and Greek, and Latin. Anybody know what it says? What does it say in Hebrew? King of the Jews. What does it say in Greek? King of the Jews. What does it say in Latin? King of the Jews. You had to know that that didn't hang there so that they wanted everybody to know who he was. That hung there to mock him. Notice they didn't hang it over the other crosses where the male factors were. The thieves were. They put that over the cross of Jesus. And I see this superscription here. As I think about this, as Jesus was there, why the languages that they chose? Well, the inscription was in Greek on account of the Hellenistic Jews. A Hellenistic Jew was a Jew that had adopted the Greek culture of the day. And so it was written there in Greek for the Jews that were Hellenistic Jews those that were at Jerusalem because of the Passover. It was written in Latin because Latin was the language of the government under which Jesus was crucified. It was written in Hebrew because that was the language of the place in which the deed of darkness was committed. You see, it was ordained by the Roman government. Listen, that the inscription would read, King of the Jews. See, I see the people of Calvary, they were the rulers. 
And there were the soldiers, but notice thirdly, there was also among that crowd the thieves. Now verse 39, look at it again. One of the male factors, which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. So here's this first man. I mean, here he is, he's, he's crying out in anger. A male factor is an evildoer. It's people that are employed to do wicked things. And the Bible says in Matthew's account, then there were two thieves crucified with Jesus, one on the right hand and one on the left. Now, the one on the left was a blasphemer. So you find this man on my left, your right. This man, according to the scriptures, was a blasphemer. He was one that did not believe in Jesus. He was one that was not convinced that he was the Son of God. He railed on him. He spoke evil about Jesus. He denied Jesus as God. He began to mock him. Listen, that is what people do. Is they, instead of believing on him, they turn away from him. They mock him. Listen, why is it that when men hear of one who has never sinned, who has never lied, who has never lusted, who only love, why is it that they will reject him? What has Jesus done to deserve what this world says about him? Nothing. But here's the one thief, the male factor. He's mocking Jesus. If you are the Son of God, then why don't you get us down from these crosses? But it's interesting as you think about what that one said. Then you come to the one that was on the right. Because, see, this one was a blasphemer, but this man here, he was a believer. See, there's a difference. And the difference was who hung between them. Because one was a blasphemer, one was a believer. Now, I find in this passage, look in verse number 40. The other answering rebuked him. Who did he rebuke? He didn't rebuke Jesus. He rebuked the one that just said in the previous verse, hey, listen, if you are the Son of God, he was talking to the other thief. He was talking to his buddy. He was talking to another sinner. It was from one sinner to another. And he says unto him, he says, Dost thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? In other words, we're all going to die. We're all here together. We're in this together. The Bible says in verse 41, We indeed justly, he said, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man, he's pointing at the middle cross or looking at Jesus, hath done nothing amiss. And he said to Jesus, see, he's done talking to the other thief. He said what he's going to say to him. And then he looks to Jesus and listen to what he says. Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus looks back at this man who's a thief. A sinner. Just like every one of us. And here's what Jesus says to this man who had just said to him, Lord, that's where it all begins. Remember me. And Jesus looks over at this sinner and says, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me. Where? In paradise. Now, when I see this, I see right here in this passage, I see three indicators of a believer as seen in this passage. Here's the first thing I see is, I see a heart of love. See, believers love Jesus. Let me say that again. 
Believers love Jesus. Do you love Jesus today? That's a pretty good indicator that you're a, you're a believer. You see, you have a heart of love. And I see a heart of love with this man. But look, when, when we hear evil spoken of, especially about Jesus, we're going to say something. Look at me for a second. Here's this man. They're hanging on the crosses. Jesus is hanging between them. This, this blasphemer, this, this man that, that is, uh, has want nothing to do with Jesus, he's, he's deriding Jesus, he's mocking Jesus. And this man is over here, and he's listening to everything that this man over here is saying about Jesus. Now, at this point, he's, he's not a believer. But he's hearing this, and in his heart, God had already been working. There was something going on inside this man's heart. And he hears this man, and he can't take it no more, and he says, Listen, you need to just shut up about what you're saying, because you don't know what you're saying. And he begins to say something. Hey, it's just like this pretty lady sitting over here in this blue dress. If somebody began to say something to my wife or about my wife, I can mark it right here in front of everybody. I would not just stand there and say nothing. Because when you love someone and you hear something bad spoken about them, you're going to say something. And this is from a heart of love. See, does it bother you? Does it bother you? When you hear someone using the name of the Lord in vain, I hope it does. Does it bother you enough to say something? Hey, that's my Jesus you're talking about. The one who gave his life so I can have a home in heaven someday. Excuse me, I'm a Christian. I prefer you don't talk that way. Hey, nothing wrong with you saying something like that, especially with the way the world says anything they want to say. See, a heart of love will say something about it. Somehow this man, while he was on the cross, he caught something. Maybe it was from the words of Jesus. Maybe it was from the attitude of Jesus. Maybe it was from the Holy Spirit working in his heart, but he had a heart of love. That was an indicator that he was a believer. But notice, I also see a heart of repentance because somewhere on that cross, he turned from his sin and he turned to Jesus. You know what he did? He repented. He knew, in verse number 41, he knew they were getting exactly what they deserved. Does not the Bible say the wages of sin is what? Death. He knew. Now look what it says. If you don't believe me, Matthew's account, Matthew 27, 44 in your notes, the thieves also, see the word thieves, is it singular or plural? Come on, talk to me. Plural. Okay, so it's more than one. Is it talking about both of them? Yes or no? Yes. Now watch this. The thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. You know what that means? Watch this. At one time, this man criticized Jesus. This guy mocked Jesus. But guess what? At one time, this man also criticized Jesus. This man also mocked Jesus. Is anybody else in here besides me that before you got saved, you ever criticized Jesus or mocked Jesus, or am I the only one in here this morning? See, uh, listen, before we know Christ, we all are like that. We're just like that person right there. But you see, the difference was this man became a believer because he had a heart of love, and he had a heart of repentance. But I want you to see a third indicator because I also see the heart of faith because he said in verse 42 unto Jesus, Lord. 
What a beautiful word. Let's say that, Lord. Let's say it, Lord. See, here's what I find in the Bible is repentance and faith always go together. Repentance and faith always go together. Acts 20, 21, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Louis Burkhoff said, moreover, true repentance never exists except in conjunction with faith, while on the other hand, wherever, tr wherever there is true faith, there is also true repentance. See, this man had faith and he repented of his sin. See, which cross this morning would you be hanging on or which cross are you hanging on this morning? I hope this is the cross that you find yourself on this morning and not this particular cross. You see, we need to be believers in Christ and not blasphemers of Christ. See, you, if you are not saved this morning, can I tell you that you can turn from your sin? And you can, as this man did, you can turn to Jesus. See, I see the people of Calvary. Those people, some were sinners. Matter of fact, most of them were. But I do see one that had put his faith in Christ. And the place of Calvary, it was prepared by God. It was a painful place. But then I notice also the pardon of Calvary. The pardon of Calvary. This is really what Calvary is all about. And you can see the pardon of Calvary throughout the entire passage this morning and in the other accounts in our gospel records. The Bible says, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I mean, how in the world could Jesus say something like that? Jesus had prophesied, and he had said this in his life, tear down this temple, and I will raise it up again. Matthew 12, uh, chapter 12 and verse number 40, as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus had let them know that he was going to die for the sins of the world, that he would bear, be buried, and that he would rise again on the third day. And he had said it time and time again. Why? Because Calvary's love was a pardon for sin. A pardon for sin is made available only by God. See, only God can forgive us of our sins. Only God can pardon us from our sins a place back in Jesus' ministry in Mark chapter number 2. Listen to this in verse number 9. Jesus said these words, Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise, take up thy bed, and what? Walk. Now, do you remember this passage? Here's this man that, that was paralyzed, couldn't walk. Jesus heals the man physically. I mean, you can see physical healing because the man got up and he walked, did he not? But right before that, because by the way, when you get saved, where does salvation take place in our lives? In our hearts, right? Can you see somebody getting saved? No. Even doctors can't see that. Salvation takes place in the heart. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. That's what the Bible says. So, look, Jesus healed the man. That was something they could see. But when it comes to salvation, man cannot see that. Look what it says, and I don't know if you have your Bibles there, but in verse number 7 of that same passage, 
listen to what Jesus says in just the two verses before. He says, they said unto him, why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? They thought Jesus was a blasphemer. And listen to what he says unto them in Mark 2, 7. Who can forgive sins but God only? Hey, listen, they had it right. Only God can forgive us of our sins. Amen? You think about it this morning. Look, I cannot absolve you from your sins. We're not going to put confessionals in this church where you can come in and you can get on one and I can get in another one and I can tell you go pray a bunch of prayers and your sins will be forgiven. Listen, a prayer will not save you. It is faith and repenting of your sins that is God's method for salvation. We must come to Jesus who forgives us of all of our sins. Thomas answered and said unto him one day, My Lord and my God. What was Thomas doing? He was worshiping Jesus. Why would Jesus be worshiped by man? Because only God deserves to be worshiped. You came this morning. We came to worship him. You didn't come to worship me. I'm a man. He is God. We worship God. We don't worship man. And this morning, understand that Calvary's love was a pardon for sins. Whoever believes in him can have eternal life because Jesus, the Bible says in Colossians 2, 9, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. There's only one way to get to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You can go to church every Sunday. You can do all kinds of good deeds But the Bible is clear, for by grace are you saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Hey, listen, the pardon for sin is only by Jesus Christ. He was the sinless Son of God who shed his blood. He died for our sins, and praise the Lord, he rose again from the grave. Galatians chapter 3, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster. Listen to me. God gave us his word, and the whole reason he gave us his word, the Bible says, was to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. Hey, faith in Jesus this morning, Calvary's love was a pardon for sin. But notice, I also see that Calvary's love was a place for the saved, a place for the saved. Look at verse 43 again. Jesus says unto this male factor, this thief, He says, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Now that word paradise, it's a synonym for the word heaven. Where is Jesus today? He's in heaven. And this man was told by the Son of God that where I am, there ye may be also. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Jesus said to his disciples one day, not too many days before we are in the passage this morning, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Heaven's a beautiful place. Can I tell you this morning, heaven is a literal place. It's the abode of God. We will be with the Lord for all of eternity. You'll get to spend eternity with the Lord if you have come to him by faith. 
See, we have the hope of a home in heaven for all of eternity. There's a lot of things that, and you know, you run into people day in and day out who think they know everything. And listen, even in my life, I've lived long enough now where I know some things. I know more things now than I knew years ago. There's a lot of things in this world that you may not know. But before you leave this auditorium this morning, before you leave this property, I hope the one thing that you do know that is the most important thing is, is how to get to heaven. People say, well, I don't know if you can know. I'm glad this morning that I know the most important thing is, and that's this, Jesus loved me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. See, in my life, as young as it is, I have come to understand that not, not only in my life, but long before I even came into this world, that the deity of Christ, that he is God, that it has always been under attack. Man has always been nervous about Jesus. Somebody said one time, is Jesus really God? Can I tell you this morning, he was God and he was man. How's that possible? Jesus was the God-man? If he was not a man, then who was that in Bethlehem's manger? And if he was not God, then why did the choir of angels sing in his birth? If he was not a man, who was that that called himself the Son of Man? If he was not God, then who was it that said, I and my Father are one. If he was not a man, who was it that washed the feet of his disciples? And if he was not God, who washed those very same disciples from their sins in his own blood? If he was not a man, who was it that wept at Lazarus' tomb? And if he was not God, who was it that called Lazarus forth from that tomb? If he was not man, who hungered on the mountainside? If he was not God... Who was it that fed the multitudes on that very same hillside with a little lad's lunch? If he was not a man, who was it that stood before Pilate and he said, Behold the man, and if he was not God, who caused Pilate to say, I find no fault in this man? If he was not a man, then whose hands and feet were nailed to the cross? But if he was not God, who was it that rent the veil in the temple in twain? If he was not a man, who was it that was hanging on the cross? And if he was not God, who was it that moved the earth from its very foundations? If he was not a man, who cried from the cross, I thirst? If he was not God, then who was it that gave the woman at the well living water that she'd never thirst again? If he was not a man, who cried, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And if he was not God... Then who was it that said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do? If he was not a man, who was it that was buried in Joseph's tomb? If he was not God, who was it that came forth from that grave three days later? I say to you this morning, he was man. And he was God. He was the God-man. There's a great difference between realizing on the cross he was crucified and on the cross he was crucified for me. He was crucified for all of us. Jesus is not just another Savior. He is my Savior. Isaiah wrote many years ago, And there shall be for a sign and for a witness unto the Lord of hosts, 
in the land of Egypt, and they shall cry unto the Lord because of the oppressors, and he shall send them a Savior and a great one, and he shall deliver them. Listen, God did send in the Old Testament. He sent them a temporary Savior, one that would deliver them, but this would be ultimately fulfilled in the the spiritual Savior, which is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Acts chapter 4, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Hey, listen, only through Jesus. When I think about this this morning, here's the question. What will you do with Jesus today? What have you done with Jesus in your life? Can I tell you this morning that Jesus was the word that was made flesh. He dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. If you've received Christ this morning, can I tell you, then live for him. But if you have not received him, don't put him off another day. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? With our heads bowed, our eyes closed, no one looking around this morning. This is a serious matter. This service right now, this moment that God's brought you to. See, I believe with all my heart, just like Jesus prepared Gethsemane, and just like Jesus prepared Calvary, I believe Jesus prepared this moment. This moment that God had you here to hear this message. If you're here this morning and you have seen with your physical eyes these three crosses on this platform, and you weren't there over 2,000 years ago, but on three crosses on a hillside called Calvary, On that middle cross hung the Son of God, nailed through His precious hands and feet. He never committed one sin, never did one thing wrong. Why would He go through that? Because He loves us. Because He wants you, He wants everyone to go to heaven someday. If you're here this morning, And God has shown you from his word how much he loves you. It brings John 3.16 to a whole new light. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him, not in yourself, Not in what you can do, but whoever believes in him, put your faith in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Before we stand to our feet, I want to ask you this morning, have you had a time in your life where you've knelt before Jesus and you've asked him, to forgive you the way this thief on this cross did. By faith, you accepted him as your Savior. I wonder this morning by a raised hand, Pastor, I've had a time in my life that I've done that. I know that I'm saved. Would you slip your hand up this morning? I put my faith in Jesus. That's a wonderful sight. You can put your hands down. 
I wonder today, is there someone here that would be honest with God? And by the way, God already knows. I've never, never done that, never had a time. But this morning, God showed me that if I'm going to get to heaven someday, although I'm a fairly decent person, I'm a sinner. I can't get there on my own. I need Jesus. How many would raise your hand this morning and say, that's me? I've never had a time in my life. I see that hand. You can put it back down. Anyone else this morning? I've never had a time in my life, but God has shown me today that I need to be saved. Would you slip your hand up this morning? You can put it up and put it right back down. Anyone else? Just be honest with the Lord today. God wants you. He's not willing that any would perish. Anyone else, before we have a word of prayer and we stand to our feet, Pastor, I don't know for sure that heaven would be my home, that this was my last day. Slip your hand up and you can put it right back down. Anyone else? Lord, I want to thank you this morning for speaking to hearts. Lord, I pray that you bless this invitation. Lord, help your people to respond for what you've done for them. What an amazing, what an amazing act of love that you went to the cross and gave your life for us. Lord, I pray for this one that doesn't know for sure that she's saved. Lord, I pray that you'd help her today to know. Well, thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Would you stand with